Welcome back everyone to Stay in Your Lane. I'm your host, John Maley, brought to you by Triple T Transport. We're going to pick this bout up again, continuing from yesterday's episode. Uh, last time we spoke about equipment, uh, you know, there was, there was still plenty of carriers that needed to replace equipment that just couldn't get it during the pandemic because it was unavailable and extremely high priced. Now we're in a position where rates in the market is down. I want to say uh, outbound tender rejections down under 3%. So we think that there's still going to be a lot of uh, fallout for the next nine to 12 months is what we're. Well said. Yes. All right. Well, then we're on the same page. Um, Dan, coming back to you on this one. Um, how does your age group change how you see or feel the impact of the economic conditions we're going through right now? And, and let me add a little bit, you know, for, our, for the guys here that work with us at Triple T, uh, you know, the guys that are under 30, 32 years old, they've only known interest rates to be more than low from what I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm going to hit the 5-0 this year. So, um, you know, I remember the 80s when a home mortgage uh, at times were double digits. And I remember, you know, my first home purchase where, you know, uh, if you got seven, you, you know, you did good. Uh, you were winning, right? Uh, in 2010, we saw a 40-year low in the 3 and 4% range. Um, how, how do you see that changing the impact on, on, our, on the people in the United States because of their age group. You've got guys that are gonna be retiring within 10 years. You got us middle-agers out there, like myself, um, versus the young people. What do you have on that, Dan? You're, you're absolutely right. Um, you quote young people, and I think you pegged it as 32. Uh, that's, that's about right, because uh, you, those people haven't seen basically anything but near zero rates for the last 14 years, now there was a two-year period in there where their rates were a little bit higher, but it's basically been near zero for 14 years. And inflation has been 2% or less for 14 years. So these are the conditions that have uh, you know, been influencing younger business people. The effect, perfect effect we saw a few weeks ago with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. What happened there was they had depositors leaving and how you cover that? Well, you have to sell some assets to cover that. Well, guess what? Those assets were long-term bonds. When interest rates go up, those bonds leave value. And it's like, we didn't know interest rates could go up. Uh, you know, this is, this is just, uh, uh, it's a perfect example of uh, not being aware that rates can go up and they can get higher. And by the way, you mentioned mortgages, um, you know, they were at 1.18, 18%. I do presentations. I ask people, have you ever had, did you ever have a mortgage like that? And sometimes people say, yeah, I had 20%. So that was certainly a different area. Now, um, as far as retirement, it's always dependent on your risk tolerance and, and your age. So if you are towards the end of your uh, career and, and looking towards retirement and you have a nest egg, 
Well, the good news is you're finally getting some interest on your nest egg. So you may want to leave that there and get, get interest. You know, anytime you put or uh, have a bigger exposure to stocks, you have a bigger risk. If you're younger and are, are trying to build a nest egg, then you buy and hold. You're more aggressive on the equity side. So you don't care so much in the long term about interest rates because equity growth over the next, you know, going forward on is going to average 10% or so. That's what it's done for, uh, for decades and decades. Interest rates will go up and down. So what earnings go up and down and the stock market will go up and down. But if you buy and hold for the long term, then maybe uh, movements in interest rates aren't quite so interesting shouldn't go shifting in and out of uh, equities. And by the way, probably a longer answer than you want, but to demonstrate buy and hold, there's a, a study looking at uh, the stock market over a peer, period of 20 years. And it turns out the biggest movements are in a handful of days. So over a 20 year period, if you miss the best 10 days in 20 years, your return is cut in half. So don't try to get in and out of the market just because you think we're, uh, you might know where. Very good. Bob, coming back to you on this one. Thank you again, Dan. Uh, trade agreements, as far as imports, diversions away from Southern California ports, LA, Long Beach, uh, how does it impact the carriers and the lanes from a short and a long-term perspective? Because we, we've seen a shift of the imports where they were concerned and, and chose to, to, to come to a different port and different area of the country, are they staying or are they going back? So uh, I was just looking at this data the, uh, recently. It was really interesting. So first of all, the thing, go back to what I said earlier, and that is retailers in particular are trying to clear out all that bloated inventory that they had accumulated uh, as, this, as the consumer went back to buying more services like travel and less goods that we did during the pandemic, um, and, and, and retailers were caught with way too much stuff, they've been working that off. And it's one of the reasons why truck freight has been, been weak. But it's also a reason why port volumes have generally been weak. But to your point, the West Coast ports are getting hit harder than the East Coast and Gulf Coast ports. So um, I was just looking at some data report from the ports, you know, in the month of February, West Coast port vo import volumes were down 37%. East Coast and Gulf Coast, uh, Coast ports were down uh, less than 20%. Still down like 18, 19%, but, but not nearly the 37% uh, that was on the uh, West Coast. I think uh, even Seattle Tacoma was down 40%. I mean, it, it, that 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 side's been hit much harder. Funny enough, Houston is is actually positive. So, anyways, yes, yeah, some of that is is going on, and that will obviously have an impact on how far and where freight is moving, and then the carriers that service that. So uh, we uh, we have been seeing that. But then you've been talking about seaports again. I'm going to go back to this idea: the land ports of entry are doing much better, and that's because. A, we're seeing some of this reshoring, nearshoring, friendshoring, whatever you want to call it. Not only did the Trump administration push this, but the Biden administration is pushing it as well. And so now you have, it's one of the few things that it seems like Republicans and Democrats can unify on against China, 
and and sort of more uh, North American, I won't call it all U.S., but North American production uh, and so forth. So, uh, and we know a lot of that. I mean, over 70% of the freight uh, moved across the U.S.-Mexico borders on truck, uh, closer to 60% with Canada. So, um, so that will benefit a lot of those carriers. Uh, and again, we've seen um, uh, trade with Mexico uh, be very strong uh, with trucks and uh, in Laredo is is right up there at the top. They're some of the best freight right now. So um, so yeah, it's it's continuing. I don't see this changing. I don't see even if you have administration changes, I, I think this is one of the few things that here in Washington that people are uh, unified on. And uh, and I think you're going to, you know, it, we push production. And of course, Dan was talking about inflation. This impacts inflation. We exported our inflation for years, right? We exported it to production in Asia and China specifically. As you bring some of that back, even in Mexico, the production costs are higher. So that will have an impact longer term on, on inflation rates as well. Uh, but uh, but it's certainly something that's going to impact uh, supply chains. Well, and I, you know, I've talked to some of the shippers in California uh, with the, the produce uh, is the big concern because I think the weather's just been so bad. It's been brutal uh, with the, the amount of rain and weather they've dealt with. Uh, a lot of what they normally grew early in the year here is going to be coming from the south. So that's going to put more pressure on the, the Mexican side. That's that's a that's a good point. And Laredo, uh, Edinburgh, far they're going to get hit hard. Your Florida and Georgia markets are probably going to be pretty strong. The what what we're seeing though is the retail restaurant uh, versus restaurant grocery stores are killing it. They're still killing it. The restaurants have not recovered. I see. What, I know what you're saying, and I've seen a little bit of that too. It's a little surprising. I think some of the retail numbers on in. in um, Restaurants have been doing well, but that's also, I think, uh, inflation impacted, right? So as prices go up, it looks like si and sales are going up. Uh, that's having an, an impact. But we've seen, you know, in general, um, to your point, I mean, we haven't seen this in contract freight. I haven't seen this big drop. I've seen a bit of a drop off, but I haven't seen this plunge in freight. But all that extra freight out there is gone. There are shippers out there, let's face it, that got hurt taken advantage of and, and paid top dollar to get freight moved. And some of those shippers are, are trying to get it back. We're seeing the, the strategic, you know, versus transactional, the strategic players are more consistent. So, you know, we've actually gained market share, I think, with some of those uh, relationships that we have versus, uh, you know, we, we worked in the spot market for our people that were giving us contract freight at Triple T Transport, right? You're going to take care of, we're going to dance with who we came to the to the party with, right? It's it's a difficult balance to um, to navigate and to know how how it's going to play out long term. But I would agree that um, the grocery stores are are leading the charge. I think they've had a couple good years from a profits perspective. Uh, restaurant business at least here where we are locally, uh, there's some busy times in the restaurants, but most of the time it's not lunch. And I'd say that's because many people are still working from home post pandemic. Yeah, you just need to go to where I always get lunch and uh, the line's out the door. I, need, <laughs> I tell those people. <laughs> Is it good? 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's probably part of the reason why the line's out the door. <laughs> a bunch of guys hanging out there and the line's out the door. That means the food's good. Definitely. Um, let's move this one on to the next question. We saw a large acquisition. Uh, Bob, this one's coming back to you for your thoughts. Saw a large acquisition. Uh, Knight and Swift are going to be merging uh, with uh, and taking and uh, purchasing U.S. Express. I don't really look for details on that specific uh, situation, but do you see more of that coming throughout the year with the bigger players? Yeah, I think there's the potential for that. Um, you know, a lot of time, why why does and I'm not talking about that specific uh, acquisition, but in general, why would they buy another fleet? They're drivers, right? They want they want their drivers for the most part, um, and there's still some of that. The driver market's gotten a little bit better, uh, but we still have issues because you know uh, inability to pass a drug test and 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 driving records and so forth. So the maybe it's not quite as tight as it was, and it's not, but it's certainly not super loose either. There are plenty of fleets out there looking to do nips and tucks and, and acquisitions and so, so forth. One of the interesting things that's happened though over the last you know three to five years is it used to be a, a fleet would go in and, and buy a company and and you'd rebrand everything and you'd, you'd, you'd you know fold it in. Now that doesn't happen so much, right? It goes in and you know it's like Hey John, you've been doing a great job running this truck fleet. Um, we're gonna buy you, but just keep doing what you're doing. You're gonna run under your brand. We're gonna, you know, but we now own you, and and that is, um, I think, more likely what you're gonna see in a lot of these. Uh, it used to be, you know, um, you know, so you go out there and you would acquire a good, a well-run fleet, uh, maybe where you can still use some back office stuff to make some savings, but. But uh, that's more of the norm that we're seeing in this space. Uh, and I think that's going to con continue. But but I, I do think those well-capitalized companies are going to continue to look for opportunities. Uh, and it, but, but the truckload market is still highly fragmented, right? I mean... 92 to 94% have one to five trucks. Yeah. I mean, another way I look at it is, you know... The, the top 25 fleets have a combined market share of less than 10%. I mean, that's pretty astounding. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and put a pencil in this for today, guys, and we're going to pick it back up tomorrow. Continue watching on the next episode of the Stay in Your Lane podcast.